Presence is a blessing here. 
soon the, these big jumbo jets that fly across the Atlantic begin to accumulate here in this little airport. I think the name of it was Penethry or something like that. And uh, soon the runways were lined with these 747s and other big jets. And uh, this Dutch captain began to fret. He began to get nervous because international flights were no problem, but the Dutch laws were such that if he did not leave at a certain time, he was required by Dutch law to not fly for 24 hours. If that happened, he knew that they were going to have to put all these passengers in the 747 up in hotel rooms in uh, the Canary Islands, and it's a small place, small town. They may not have even had enough hotel rooms for them, and so he was facing some problems. And as the deadline approached, he became more nervous and more nervous, and Finally, the clearance came that uh, they could fly on to Las Palmas, and he obtained air clearance. And this is, they do this because planes have to be spaced out certain, like five miles apart, and they can't all get together. They're afraid of mid-air collisions and other problems, turbulence and other things that they have to deal with. And so uh, they have to space them out. When he got, he got his spacing clearance, he was ready to take off. He started the big engine rolled out onto the runway, and his co-pilot, now we know this because the, the voice recorders are saying, the co-pilot said, Captain, we haven't got ground clearance. He said, it's okay, we've got to get out of here. We've just got minutes to get off the ground, but we can't move at all. And so he pushed the levers forward on that 747. If you've ever flown in one, I'm surprised they get off the ground at all. They're so big. They weigh 750,000 pounds. They're not light. So he started that slow increase in acceleration. They started down the runway. Most of us would have helped them. They were gaining speed. The engines were roaring. And a little fog had settled over the runway, but that was no problem. The modern jets with their modern technology, they can take off in the fog. And so he, he started gaining speed, and then out of the fog at the end of the runway, he saw a Pan Am 747 setting captain of the Pan Am had thought he was on a side runway when he was really on the active runway. And uh, so these planes were on a collision course. And uh, as soon as the Dutch captain saw the 747 ahead of him, he knew he wasn't going to make it. He knew his plane was doomed. What he tried to do was save the Pan Am 747 in front of him. And so before he had sufficient airspeed, Pulled back on the yoke and the nose of that 747 rose. He was going to try to jump the other plane. He knew he was going to crash all across high. He wasn't going to make it. He knew it, but he was hoping to spare the other plane. And he didn't make it. He got the nose over the other plane, but the back part of the, and the undercarriage caught the Pan Am. Both planes exploded. Of course, they were full of gas. 576 people died that day. That's the worst airplane disaster in the history of civilian aviation. More people died in that crash than has died in any other plane crash and so far. And of course, it was a long time ago, and it still holds the record. And this captain that was famous for his safety died, and everybody else, because he was worried 
commensurate from the delay and the hotel rooms and all the difficulties and the expense to KLM of not making his flight. And so in his rush to maintain small things, he forgot the fundamental lesson of all flying, and that is, first of all, be safe. He neglected ground clearance, one of the fundamental laws of safety. He didn't tell anybody he was going to take off. He just floorboarded the plane and took off, and it wasn't clear, and this disaster transpired because somebody forgot number one. They forgot the number one rule of safety is to be safe. He, he was worried about his reputation as an on-time pilot. Well, what about his reputation now? He's known as the pilot that killed more people than any other pilot in the history of aviation. And he did it because he didn't keep his priorities straight. I heard a, I, I heard a lesson one time on a CD that has never, I've never forgotten this. This is one of the best things I've ever heard. This man started talking about you gotta keep first things first and second things second. Now that sounds pretty fundamental and simple, but you'd be surprised how often we don't do that. He started talking about, you know, if you mess up keeping the first thing, if you put second first and first second, you not only mess up the first things, you also mess up the second things. Once you start the dominoes falling and messing up, it's hard to stop the chain because you started off wrong. I've learned as a pastor a long time ago, and as a saint for 50 years or longer, that if you don't start off right, it's almost impossible to end up right. They just keep on going. It just problems just keep on accumulating, and you say, "Why? Well, how am I in this mess? What got to start? Well, the problem was you didn't start off right in the first place. And this Dutch captain was a good pilot. He was not a beginner. He had flown for 25,000 hours. That's a long time to sit in the cockpit of an airplane. That's decades of flying. And he, this should have never happened, but he got... He got in a hurry, got in a rush, and, and he, didn't, he didn't keep his priorities straight, and people died because he was worried about the little things and neglected the big ones. Now, it should be obvious where this is going today. This is a lesson that if we don't keep this in our mind, especially as young people, it's so easy to forget what should be first. It's so easy to get things out of alignment, and when you do that, you wake up one morning and wonder, how have I gotten in this mess? Well, it started a long time ago when you didn't keep first things first. Amen. I had a man come to me the other day, and I'm going to talk about a lot of things today, so settle down, put your motorcycle helmet on, and amen, we're going to be here for a while because i got a lot of things I want to talk about. I had a man come to me a while back, five or six years ago, eight years ago, and said, what do you think about my son playing Little League Baseball? He was a new convert from Denomaly Church. And I said, well, I don't think He said, what's wrong with it? It's just baseball. I said, you're right. And I'm not worried about what happens on the field. I'm worried about the fact that practice time will undoubtedly be on a church night. And you'll teach your child to be unfaithful to church. And then there'll be out-of-town games. And, and there will, there will impinge upon his, his relationship with the church and the relationship with your family. And, uh, you know, I'm not worried about baseball. It's not the baseball that bothers me. It's the other part that goes with organized sports. If you let him play Little League, it'll be tough to tell him why it's wrong to play ball in high school.
high school. You start playing ball in high school, and, and then everything that's bad about this gets worse. Then it'll be the long drives and the team bus with the cheerleaders, and there'll be other complications. And if he's a bench warmer, it may not hurt him all that bad, but if he's good, you'll lose him. And if he's really good, I'll guarantee it won't just be God that'll lose him, it'll be you. The team will be more important than the family. And the team will come before anything else in his life. And he'll get caught up in the mentality of organized sports and being the, the athlete on campus and all the adoration for the wrong reasons that will come to him. And in time, you will lose your son. Right here is where you need to make a right choice. Right here, not down the road. Not, a, not after a, all the problems have erupted. Right here, you need to make the right choice for your son. You better put first things first. First things first. He didn't let his boy play, I'm glad to say. And he's doing fantastic now, sitting on my platform with the kids preaching. And I admire that dad's decision. He was wise enough to say, you know, what would be fun now, what would be good now, what would be enjoyable now, may not be all that hot down the road. I better make some wise choices here while I can make the choice because you once, once you start the dominoes falling, it's tough to stop them. Amen? And so we have to be wise in this. We have to keep first things first. Romans tells us when they knew God, they did not worship him as God. They became vain. Confessed themselves wise, they became fools, and changed the uncorruptible God into an image made of the like of a corruptible form. Because they did this, God gave them over to uncleanness. A downward spiral started here in the Romans. Are you with me? They didn't have a right relationship with God. They they changed the perfection of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, four-footed beast, and for this reason God gave them uncleanness, and then it got worse. Because that didn't change their direction, God gave them over to vile affections. God did it. Are you listening to me today? It wasn't man, it wasn't the family, it wasn't the pastor. God did it. The Bible says God did it. Because they did not start in the right direction, because they worshiped the, and it's because they did this, they started worshiping the creature more than the creator. They got everything wrong. They got everything turned around. You, you don't worship the creature more than the creator. But they did. And when they did that, he turned them over to vile affections. And they really got their lives messed up. And before it was over, we know God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You can start a downward spiral in your life that you can't get out of because you made a mistake way back in the first. Our scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Everybody say first. It's not second and third and fourth and after everything else. Oh no, if you're wise, if you'll let me talk to you today, if you'll let the word of the Lord speak to you, you'll find out that you've got to put God first. He's not after everything else and he's not after you've done everything else. I don't like that song. Here we go on music again. When you tried everything and everything has failed, tried. I don't want that people to try everything and let their lives be destroyed before they try Jesus. Let's try first. Remember now thy creator in your youth. While you're young, these young folks, right now, 
Say, man, I've had a good life. You know, I feel like I had a good life. I'm not sad and sorry about the way my life has turned out. There's been some bad days, but, man, I've been blessed. I'm not having to worry about lung cancer from smoking. My liver's doing great, hallelujah. I haven't ruined it with drinking. Man, I've been blessed. When I go to the airport, I don't have to worry about them finding out about I'm wanted for a crime. Drug dealers not after me. Boy, there's some blessings in living for God we don't even think about. There's some good things about living for God that don't even cross our mind. The Bible speaks of his daily loaded benefits. There's some benefits in living for God. Hallelujah. All these diseases going around, I'm not worried about them. I'm in a low-risk category. Not very many categories lower, a matter of fact, than the one I'm in. Stayed faithful to her all my life. She stayed faithful to me. Get this mess. Don't worry about it. My daughter-in-law went to the doctor to for her first prenatal examination. She's going to have a baby, thank you, Jesus. And uh, the doctor wanted to give her an STD test. The kids are gone. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not. I'm not as frank as Brother Terry. You can relax. And my daughter-in-law said, no, I don't want to take the test. Well, we give it to everybody. She said, well, you're not giving it to me. Well, what if you have a disease? She said, I don't. Well, how about your husband? He don't either. I'm not taking that test. Hallelujah. That's what you get to do when you're a child of God. That's what you get to do when you put God first in your life. That's what happens when you live for the Lord to his precepts and his laws. You forget all that other stuff. Man, what a blessing it is to put God first in your life. What a blessed thing it is when you know that you have done what's right and the, your life is going to unfold as it should. And that's what happens. It really will. Now, you may not get everything you want, but you will have a blessed life. I don't guess anybody gets everything. Well, we probably don't even need what we want. You know, matter of fact, a great fellow, I, I think he's great in some ways. Now, don't, you preachers don't come and jump on me about this. But I think St. Thomas of Aquinas was a smart man. I'm 21 three times. I get to think it if I want to. And he one time said, now listen to this, it's the judgment of God that in the end he gives you what you want. You know what that means? You better want good things. Because it's his judgment that in the end he gives you what you want. If you want to be a violent sinner, you're going to get it. If you want to be the nastiest person in the county, you're probably going to get it. You want to live for God, you're probably going to get that too. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I live for God. I'm glad I was 14 when I got into church, and I don't regret.
there were some things I probably would have enjoyed. I probably would have gone out to the basketball team or the football team in high school. I went to talk to my pastor, and he said, you're not going to do it. But settle that real quick. But I went, you know, if you want to tell me, you want me to tell you the truth? I would have liked to. But I didn't. And I'm still in church. There were some boys in Bakersfield that did, and they're not. Everybody catch that? I didn't, and I'm here today, hallelujah. Some others did, and they're not. You know, when you let God have a place of preeminence in your life, when you forget about what you want and how big you're going to be and how good you're going to be and say, I'm going to be a, you know what we've lost in the apostolic church today to a great degree is servitude. What's wrong with being a servant? What's wrong with saying, God, I give myself to you. Whatever you want, God, it's up to you. Now it's all about us. What I want, I want to be the, you know, forget that. What God is looking for is a servant. That almost sounds nasty, doesn't it? Do something for God? Go pull the weeds at church. Well, I was thinking about singing Sunday night. No, go pull the weeds. Clean the bathroom. I have a lot of time and it didn't stunt my growth. I want to start at the top. Well, you just don't get to do that. You got to have the right last name to have that. My last name was Brown. My daddy was a truck driver. My mother, my mother cleaned houses out at Stockdale. People want to say Scottsdale. That's a different city altogether. It's Stockdale, an affluent community outside of Vegas. She went out there and cleaned houses for an oil man, a vice president of an oil company for years. My dad always said that was the most expensive money that she ever made because she'd make $30 and come home and spend 75 But my dad said. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, and uh, I'm not complaining either. We always had plenty to eat, had clothes to wear, had a roof over our head, so we had we had it better than a lot of folks in the world. By international standards, we were rich, and my dad was a truck driver. Good life, good life. The psalmist and then the apostle Peter repeated, he said, if you see long, if you want to have a good life and live long days, then you obey God's law. You put God first. And you'll have a good life and you'll live, you'll live long and good if you will put God first in your life. And if you don't, it's going to be chaos. I was in my office just the other day. Had been more than a few weeks. And I heard a knock on the door. You know what's funny? The FedEx guys and UPS can never find me and the postman. But people looking for money cannot miss. They find me every time. Anyway, I sat there and Heard a knock on the door, went over and opened it, and here's this guy that asked me for five dollars. Said I'm hungry, and I don't doubt that he was because he looked terrible. He had sores all over his face and his missing teeth. He was looked like he was emaciated, looked like he just got out of a concentration camp. And I said, "You're on drugs, aren't you?" Oh no, 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 Reverend, no, not on me. I said, oh, yeah, you're on, you're on, not only are you on, you're on drugs, you're on speed. You're on meth. He 
it's burning you up. If I give you money, it's just going to feed your habit. I would be hurting you to give you money. It's called an ego thing. I said, you're, you, you look, you're 35, you look like you're 60. You might have an education. You might, you might have some skills. You might have had a home and a family, but it's been destroyed by your habit. And I'm not going to, I can't help you. started going the wrong direction. And my five dollars is not going to change it. He started going the wrong direction in his life. And I doubt if he's alive now. That was six months ago or a year. He may not even be alive. He was a wreck. He was, he had destroyed his life. I am so sick of this idea that it's hard to live for God and it's, oh, give me a break. It's not hard to live for God. It's easy to live for God. What's hard is to be a sinner. You want problems in your life. You go out in that world and turn yourself over to the taskmaster of the devil and you'll find out what problems are. It's easy to come to church where people love you, where you're in the sheltering of the church. That's easy. And while I'm at it, we're not giving up all that much to be children of God. I heard you know, I was on my way to the NFL. Well, I was going to be a truck driver. God had to save him from that fate almost worse than death. I sacrificed so much. Oh, quit. You didn't sacrifice nothing to live for God. This is all gain and no loss. When you come to God, it's all a blessing. When you come to God, it's always an ascendancy. You're
I've never watched one play of a Super Bowl in my life. Not one play. And on Super Bowl Sunday, I make sure that I go to a restaurant that has no television in it, which is getting hard to do, by the way, because I'm not going to accidentally lose my testimony. I had a friend recently that left the church and the ministry, unfortunately, and he told some of his, told his father me and Ray Brown used to go to the Volta room and watch TV. Now, I don't know if I understand that, but I'll tell you that if that's the truth, I'm willing to go to hell. Is that strong enough? Is that plain enough? If he told the truth, I'm willing to be lost. That did not happen. And I'm not saying that because you've heard the rumors. I'm saying that I'm committed to this. Amen. We don't, we you know, when I tell people in the world we don't have TV, after I get through explaining our reasons, they say, well, man, that makes sense. I see what you're talking about. It is bad. It is goofy. It's not the worldly people I have trouble with. It's people that claim to be saints. They're the ones that want to defend it. You better put God first in your life. It's more important than your souls. More important to see Brad Pitt. Is he still around? Is he still active? You know, I'm, I'm so out of touch with what the world's doing. I was going to, when I preached on music the other day, I was going to name some worldly music groups. I can't name one. Oh, Elvis has been gone longer than, oh, Lord. I was going to say Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin and Twisted Sister and some of the ones that I've heard about. While I'm at it, I might as well throw Merle Haggard in there and some of them. Toby Keith or what's that other Toby? Toby, what is it? Toby Mack, yeah. They're both the same. If you got one on your little iPad or iPod, you might as well have the other one. I'm going to be nice tomorrow, hallelujah. We're going to preach on Mondays. We're going to shout, have a big time. But you better put God first in your life. You better put God first. Because if you don't, you start a downward spiral in your life that you may not able, be able to stop. When we repent, we stop that downward spiral. That's what the altar is for. That's when you come to God and you get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm tired of being a sinner. I'm tired of being a drunk. I'm tired of ruining my home. I'm tired of destroying my life. I want to change, God. That's what happens when we repent. We stop the downward spiral of our life at an altar. We stop that endless series of bad choices and bad mistakes. God, we got an altar to go to. And if you're a child of God and you make some mistakes, it's not hopeless. There's still an altar. But if you keep on going the wrong direction, you can never arrive at the right destination. Everybody catch
always done, you'll always get what you've always got. You're able to catch that concept, aren't you? You keep on doing the same old thing. You know, I've been thinking about losing some weight lately, like for the last 20 years. And I made a discovery that if I keep going by the same donut shop, nothing's going to change. They've been serving that food over there. That's criminal. Who, I need to see the guy that's been serving that. He has ruined me. Man, those, those desserts are good. Those little puff deals full of, full of cream. I don't know what they're called. Some of them got chocolate on the top. Mm, those things are delicious. They're also fattening. If you keep on doing what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. I told that man in prison, he went back two more times because he kept on doing what he'd always done. Kept running with the same friends, drinking the same booze, taking the same dope, ended back in the same prison. I'd go back, I'd say, I see, I told you. Here we are again. He did it again. Probably going to do it again. He's out now, but if you keep on doing what you've always done, what we need to do is break the paradigm. We need to put God first. God. Let's put him. Amen. When we, when we go. And here we go. Hallelujah. When we go to buy clothes, let's think of him first. Put him first. How is this going to look in an apostolic church? Is this going to project me as an apostolic? God ought to be first. God ought to be first. I was walking through Sears with Billy Garrett several years ago. He was probably going to a restaurant, going to the mall, and we made a bypass through Sears, and we were talking about God and whatever. It wasn't the Arizona Cardinals. And we was talking about whatever, and all of a sudden he stopped and said, wait just a minute. And he veered off into the women's clothing department. Oh, well, there must be a sale over there or something. But anyway, he walked over to where the dress-up, excuse me, the devil's not going to keep me from telling this. He walked over to the, where you, you know, you try on some clothes and do some mirrors. And he walked over there, so I followed him. a woman in his church and her 18-year-old daughter, and she had on a pair of shorts. And Brother Garrett's enough like his pastor that that didn't set real well. <coughs> he said, what are you doing? And she, oh, oh, Brother Garrett, oh. Well, I was just trying to walk. What for? She was out of church. She was out of church then, matter of fact. Amen. She wanted to see how good she looked. You know, nobody, listen to me, girls. Are you listening? I'm 66. Nobody liked girls better than I did. And I made it all the way to marriage without messing my life up morally. So, but I like girls. And there are no girls on this earth more beautiful apostolic girls. 
Your little innocent look is the most beautiful look on this earth. Don't let the devil tell you that if you can just look like the little tramps out in the world. And no, you look better now than you would then. And your long hair, your beautiful uncut long hair is your glory. Nothing enhances your feminine attractiveness as much as your long hair. It really does. God was right. He usually is. Many times he is right when he spoke of a woman's long hair as her glory. And you ought to glory in it. Revel in it. You ought to be happy that you have this long hair. I know it's hot in the summertime, it, especially in Phoenix. And I am aware that it's a bother to comb. Okay. But there's nothing in life that doesn't have its complications. Glory in it. Revel in it. I've known girls with hair almost down to the ground. Nothing to be embarrassed about in the slightest. You ought to be happy that you have uncut long hair. It's your glory. And it also tells everybody you're submitted. It's a message of submission. If you're single to God, if you're married to your husband and God. I had at one time in my church a woman that every time her and her husband got into a big knockdown drag out bus, which was real often unfortunately, she'd go in the bathroom bedroom and cut her hair. I wonder if she had any hair at all. Often as they got the bus. You know what she did that for? She's telling her husband, this is what I think about you. It's a symbol of submission. Ordained by God. You know, I've always, you know, Solomon once said, I wanted to know the reason why. Read Ecclesiastes. I, I sought to know why. You know, if you know why God teaches things, it's a lot easier to live for it. If you know why the standards of church are it's easier to live for. I want to tell you some whys today. You have your long, uncut hair as a symbol of submission. That's why it's important. You know, that why is important. It's easy to know who and when and where and what. But the why one's the tough one. That's the one question Jesus asked when he was on the cross. Why? Why? Hast thou forsaken me? And we know why. It changes the entire picture. Your hair is given to you. Or a covering. And you boys, your short hair, your cut hair is a symbol to God of your submission. Christ is your head. Nature teaches you that. I was walking down the boardwalk with a fellow by the name of uh, Sammy Floyd a long time ago. I was about 20. Sammy Floyd was barbarian. He was rough and tough and had a bunch of brothers. His fight to drop the hat, drop the hat himself. He was tough. And uh, you might have assumed by his nickname that he was not soft-featured and delicate feminine at all. Okay. 
we walked down the boardwalk, I'll never forget this, and ahead of us was this person that had long, beautiful blonde hair down to her waist. We assumed, of course, that it was a girl. When we caught up to him, we found out it was a guy. He also had a little, little wisp of beard. That's what tipped it off. We assumed it was a guy. Nowadays, anyway, we assumed it was a guy. And uh, Sammy Floyd, the barbarian, started running his fingers through this guy's hair. That's just all he did. Running his fingers through his hair, throw your hair at the edges. Beautiful. Then he took his bubble gum out and stuck it in it. They stood there and looked at him. The guy went, oh, and walked away. Probably what I would have done, too. Maybe. Anyway, beautiful long hair. We associate that with girls. Our instant presumption was that it was girls. Boys were want to have short hair. I got a man in my church that's a man, all right? He was a lumberjack in Alaska. And I was preaching along. I said, how many of you men ever had a ponytail? I couldn't believe he raised his hand. I said, a ponytail? He said, I was too lazy to go to the barber. I said, well, okay. Too far out in the woods to go to the barber. Maybe that, but we, we have short hair. And we have our short hair for the same reasons the girls have their long hair. It's an act of submission to our head, which is to Christ. They've asked me to come teach this. I'm teaching. And that's why we come. That's why us boys go down and get haircuts. I got one right before I came to this camp. And I'll tell you right now, they didn't take enough off. I didn't look in the mirror. I said, take a little more of that off. Amen. When we put on modest apparel, now this obviously is primarily directed to the ladies, and it's because they're so beautiful. Attractive. That modesty is incumbent, but it goes, of course. I'm not saying the boys can be immodest, but uh, women's attire, many times, especially worldly attire, is intended to emphasize their feminine characteristics. And I'm going to be very circumspect in this if the Lord will help me, but I want you to catch the point. Read between the lines. Women's clothes are usually to emphasize their feminine characteristics, which brings them to attention even more. That's why they do it. So our apostolic women many times have trouble finding clothes that are modest. Girls, and I'm, I'm supposed to be teaching to the campus, all you parents out there and all you adults, just stay with me. But girls, you don't need know you're a girl. They'll know it. They'll figure it out without emphasis. I've never had any problems when I was 19. Nothing is as becoming as modesty. Now modesty in the apostolic world is usually designated as dresses as opposed to Trousers. Let me tell you why I preach against women wearing trousers or pants or shirts or bikinis or whatever you want to call it. And it's not necessarily Deuteronomy. It's modesty. Women are not modest 
is just packing bags. And they don't make any other kind. Looks like you had to put on Crisco to get in them. Axle grease to get in those things. It's not modest. It's too form-fitting. It's too revealing. It's not modest. So we tell our ladies to wear dresses. Now, dresses can be immodest, too, but not the dresses we buy. They can't be short. They don't need to be low. You girls take into account that there's people taller than me. I'm one of them. I'm 6'5". I've gone to pray with sinners in the altar and I have church. People coming out of the world, we can't expect much out of them. We can expect something out of you. Modesty becomes you. Modesty is a compliment to you. It enhances your beauty. It does not detract from you at all. When I was looking for a, a girl to marry, I wanted somebody modest. And I got my wife, after 40 years and three kids, is still modest. And I'm going to let her be modest. This old business that you, you want a lady in public and a tramp at home is baloney. I want a lady everywhere. I let my wife be modest. She loses at home, she may lose it everywhere. So there's, there's a reason why we teach modesty. We want, we want the boys to like the girls, and the girls like the boys, but we want it under control. We, we don't want, you know, my daughter called me. Is this okay? Is, is everybody with me on this? My daughter called me yesterday, and she was all a twitter. She, she was so excited. They had gone to the doctor, and they got to hear the heartbeat for the first time. If you've ever been there, you know how exciting it is. If you're a parent, you know how exciting that is. That little dum 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 They even recorded it. We still got Timmy's heartbeat on a little cassette. Anybody ever remember know what that is? It's just dum dum dum. We used to listen to it. Dum 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 dum. I sister, Sister Alviar came up to me last night. She was all excited. Did you hear from Sarah today? They heard the heartbeat. I said, well, the boys goes thum 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 thum, and the girls goes thum 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 credit card thum 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 credit card thum 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 credit card. And it's going to work too. They're going to spoil them. if they have a girl. They have, I don't care what they have. If the Alvear is going to spoil them worse than me, they're going to have to reach in their back pocket. That front money ain't going to do it. I'm already teaching my grandson Alaska. Do I want to go? No, I don't. But it's my grandson. It's my grandson. We're going. If I live long enough, the world stays sane. I'm going. I'm taking him to Alaska and showing him the bears, the deer, the antelope, the caribou, and the mountains and the lakes. And they're going to spoil him worse than me. They're going to have to work on it. She was so excited about having that baby. 
And then my daughter-in-law, she's expecting him. She came in the office the other day and she started to get a little big and show me. I can tell she's proud of her little self. I don't blame her. She's going to have a baby. You know what makes this blessed? Let me tell you why it's so enjoyable. Because they're married. They put first things first. If these babies were going to be illegitimate, there'd be shame. There'd be embarrassment. They'd be like, oh, God, I got, a, I got in a mess. Neither one of them are saying that now. They're happy about it. Hallelujah. They're happy about it because they put first things first. They started dating, and then they got engaged, and then they got married, and then they had a baby, and, and it was of sufficient length between those two events. said, the first baby can come anytime. After that, it takes nine months. Well, that's not true. It takes the same time all the time. But it's a blessing because it was done right. When you get first things first and second things second, then your life unfolds as it should. And, and it's a blessing. And if you don't get that in the right order, the things that should be a blessing are an embarrassment and a shame. Thank God. And one of the first things you better learn is let's put God first. Let's put God first. Now, now I'm going to drag, drag Sister Lawrence into this. I want to help you boys understand a female mindset. I thought about telling that joke about building a highway to Hawaii, but I won't do it. I'm too nice. One of the nicest guys. And uh, I asked my cousin, Sister Lawrence, one time, who is extremely frank, she will tell me all faster and worse than anybody on this earth can tell you. And you can ask Brother Morton. She, he's, not, she's not above getting on a lot of folks. say that. I ain't mad enough dealing with Sister Lawrence, but anyway, I said, sis, tell me why we don't understand, why men don't understand women. For example, I don't know what to buy my wife for birthday and so forth. And, I, and she said, well, you got to understand the way women think. Men are valued for what they can do. Men are valued for what they can do. They can get a job and make money. Men are the primary wage earners in most families. And I understand economic necessity may demand that women have jobs. I got a lot of women in my church that work. But generally, it's the man. It's certainly considered his job. You know, a woman works and her husband stays home and takes care of the kids. I wonder what kind of sissy he is. Now, if you've got physical problems or something, but if you can work, get out there and work if you're a man. A, a, 
and, and aberration of nature for a woman to work and her husband's paid to stay home and take care of the kids. At least I do. I think I've got a little Bible on my side. The Bible says man don't provide for his own. He's denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. That's the Bible. That's the Apostle Paul. The same one that said, if any man be spiritual, let him be lodged the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That's Paul. So we, we, we see this. And when you get things in order, the family works better. The family works better. When you get first things first and second things second, things work out better. And so men, we're the providers. We're the security in the family. My wife never wakes me up at 2 o'clock in the morning and says, I heard something in the kitchen. You hide under the bed while I go see what it is. <laughs> oh, no. She wakes me up and says, I heard something in the kitchen. Go see what it was. I'll lock the bedroom door. <laughs> I wouldn't expect otherwise. When we got married, it never crossed my mind to... Uh, have a, a, an application on her earning abilities. You know, what skills are you bringing into this? What, what kind of a, a, you know, what kind of a salary do you think you can? You know, it never crossed my mind. I was the one that was going to provide the income, and it's been that way. She's never made a dime in 41 years. I was the one that provided the security. If a burglar comes in the house, I'm not going to ask my wife to take care of it. You notice on 9/11 when those. Passengers realized that they were on a death run with those terrorists in the cockpit. And the, the people gathered in the back of the plane. They were going to rush the cockpit and take over. They knew they were going to die anyway. They weren't going to let those terrorists have their way. I admire their bravery. But you notice, you remember the let's roll line that's famous now? You know there wasn't a woman on the plane said, you guys sit down. We'll take care of this. I know Kung Fu. I'll handle this. And we're not running you down, girls. We don't expect you to. It's the role of the man to be the security in the house, the provider. So we're valued for what we can do. Everybody with me on this? Girls are valued for what they are. I didn't expect my wife to work, provide security. All I wanted was a good wife. They've had me some beautiful kids and provide me a home, and she's fulfilled that admirably because I got the cutest kids. They're not kids anymore, but she takes care of the house, provides me a home to live in. She's doing just what I want, but she's valued. I could get a housekeeper. I could get someone that would do my laundry, but we value girls for what they are. That's why girls need boys. Are you listening to me? This is to you. This is to the guys. That's why women, even after you're married, maybe especially after you're married, need constant affirmation. <laughs> they need to hear often, I love you. We don't have to hear that that often. You're beautiful. No, you don't look bad in that dress at all. <laughs> and just pray you don't go to hell, all right? So, when you buy your wife or your girlfriend, if you have one, if you've got enough sense to ask a girl out, amen, and you want to buy her a gift, you don't buy 
your girlfriend or your wife something you would like because it's not going to work. And this is where Sister Lawrence comes in. I said, what should I buy my wife? And she said, well, if you want to buy her something romantic, make it something very expensive and worthless. Something that's expensive but has no intrinsic value. Three dozen res roses is an expensive romantic gift. A toaster is not. <laughs> Want to help some of your marriage problems, brother? <laughs> Money. I've heard that's not romantic either. They want something that you've spent some time on and effort. Because they see it as affirmation. You value me. My wife buys me three dozen red roses. I'm going to tell you, I tell her, are you out of your mind? You wasted $100 on goofy roses that will be in the trash can in three days? Put down payment on a gun. Take me out to a steakhouse. Roses, are you out of your mind? But women don't think like us. I'll tell you about the highway to Hawaii after church. Amen. They don't think like us. And we have to put ourselves, they are valued for what they are. And they're valuable. Women make life worth living. They do. I wouldn't want to, I hope nobody here that's single take this wrong, but it'd be a miserable home to come to without a wife there to wait on. You know, and, and I don't even, have, I don't want to hang my clothes up like my job is the church. My job is pastoring. Her job is me and my house. And if she has to take out eight hours to do that, then that's just, that's her job. And so we value them for what they are. So we can't treat them the way we are. They're the weaker vessel. They're not like us. Amen. And I don't know how I got off on all that, but just a free little benefit. Thank you, Sister Lawrence, for shedding wisdom on the female mindset. Because to most men, it's a mystery. Amen. Now, I'm about to close. Oh, goodness. I'm about to close. But let me just touch on something that I'm going to touch on a lot tomorrow. And that is this, the number one lesson of the entire Word of God, the fundamental scripture of the Bible is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is my God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is no message, no doctrine, no tenet, no concept that's more important for you to receive than, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. And if you don't get that in church, you haven't received anything. If you don't get that message in church, you haven't got anything. The first commandment is you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. But the, the, the fundamental message, you know, here is the Lord our God, our Lord, is one Lord is not a commandment. That's a statement of fact. That's the way it is.
hallelujah. But we need to get this fundamental message. I'm going to preach on it tomorrow. That we can intensely believe it. So let me tell you how important it is. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you die in your sins. You go into a religious death spiral. If you don't get this message right here, you are going to be lost if you don't get this message right here. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you die in your sins. Let's get first things first, young people. Let's put God first. Let him have a place of preeminence. Think about him every time you start to go to school. Every time he wouldn't hurt you to pray over a test. When you buy clothes, put God first in your life. When God helps, when you decide whether you're going to marry somebody, you better put God in there. You better say, what kind? Is this going to be a godly husband or wife for me? Are they going to help me go to church and be an anchor around me? There's some good men and women going to go to hell because they married the wrong person. I said there's going to be some good people going to an eternal hell because they married the wrong person. They got drug out to the world lost. So first of all, first, seek ye first. Seek ye first. Seek you first. Everybody say first. Not second. Oh God, you made a mistake already. Amen. Seek you first the kingdom of God. You love the Lord today. Amen. What a blessed life it is to live for God. I mean that. And I, I know what I'm talking about. I've lived it. What a blessed thing it is to live for God first. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When it comes church time, me and my wife don't decide whether we're going. Nothing to decide. We're going to church. We're going to church. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I got a young man in my church. I'm going to close with this. I got a young man in my church that's marriageable age. He's 20, 21. I think he's old enough to think about dating. And uh, he uh, came to me the other day and asked me about a young girl all right to date her. I said, well, I really don't know her. So he didn't know what I did, but I called up a friend of mine named Garrett. I said, do you know this girl? He said, yeah. I said, what kind of girl? He said, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let anybody in my church date her. She's pretty enough to date. She's nice enough to date. As far as I knew. So that's good enough for me. I went back to her and said, no. someone that's inappropriate is you might fall for them. Then you might want to marry them, God help us. And then you started that downward spiral. Put God first. God first. In every decision you make, let God be first. Do you believe it today? Let's raise our hands and ask God to speak to us. Hallelujah, Jesus.